It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Rest is Entertainment with me, Marina Hyde. And me, Richard Osman. Hello, Marina. Hello, Richard. It is very nice to be back. It's lovely to be back. Um, How is 2024 treating you? It's treating me incredibly. I've only recently come back from being in Austria, so I'm I'm having the re-enter to the atmosphere. I have to tell you, it has literally not stopped raining here for the entire year. Yes, I know. I I saw. We've got a biblical year in store for us. Um, It's going to be arcs and floods all the way through here, from here to uh, December. That's my prediction. Some interesting things to talk about. We've got some very interesting things to talk about. We're going to talk about Mr. Bates and the Post Office, the ITV drama, and the ramifications of it, the fallout of it. The impact of it. The impact of it. Can we talk about The Traitors, which is back on the BBC? There will be no spoilers. There will be absolutely zero spoilers from either of us, but we are going to talk about how we would win the traitors, what tactics and strategy we would use to win the traitors. I feel like you're going to be better at this than me, but I have got some ideas. I think I've seen a chink in their armour. <laughs> I think I've seen that. I also want to talk at the end a little bit about um, Luke Littler, the 16-year-old darts player, and the phenomenon that that became and how everyone uh, fell in love with darts and what that means and sport on TV and stuff like that. And I think maybe... Talk about the Golden Globes. The Golden Globes happened last night. We're recording this on a Monday and we'll talk about that and the, which sort of formally kick off award season for the movies. We've got a lot to talk about. Post office scandals, traitors, darts and Golden Globes. Yes, please. That's a commute I want to be on. Shall right we? Right then, shall we? Yeah. Mr. On. Bates versus the post office. Now, this is ITV's dramatisation of the story of the wrongly convicted postmasters, which aired on consecutive nights last week and is available uh, on Catch Up on ITVX. Now... I'm just going to do a bit of background because I guess the whole point about a large part about why we're talking about this is this is a story that's sort of gone under people's radar for various reasons, which we'll come to. And you have written about this for a number of I have, years. I have written about this for some time. I was by no means the, the, the first people to start writing about it. We're writing about it way back in 2009. We will come to those as well. I should say first that it is the most widespread miscarriage of justice in British legal history. It is a tale of complete corporate psychopathy in which the victims were that very backbone of England postmasters and postmistresses. In 1999, basically, what happened is that the post office installed 
by decree a new computer system called Horizon, which began throwing up errors in people who ran post offices in their accounts. And they were sort of forced to make up the shortfalls. And they were told that it wasn't happening to anyone else. There was a helpline you could ring. People lost their businesses. They lost. They, they borrowed from everyone. They lost their homes. And eventually the post office began prosecuting them. Around 900 were prosecuted. 736 were convicted on faulty evidence. And I'm afraid it's pretty clear that that evidence was knowingly faulty. Hundreds went to jail. Now, they were imprisoned pregnant, in, they're still in their teens in one case, on their young child's birthday, in old age, high security jails where they saw and suffered themselves terrible things. At least 60 have died without seeing justice or compensation, and at least four have taken their own lives. They were shunned, they've been put into physical and mental problems from which they've never recovered. But not one of the people responsible for this miscarriage of justice has ever been brought to justice or even been held accountable. There is an inquiry ongoing. Again, we'll come to it. But ITV have dramatised this story. Alan Bates, who is one of the wronged postmasters, who has masterminded the campaign, which has been beyond uphill struggle. It was like a war, really, one of the victims said this weekend, and you can believe it. He's hit, played by Toby Jones in the, um, in the drama. And... It has been, this is a story, it's had a huge impact on people. Talking to people at ITV, they screened it in this part of January, which is the very best viewing of the year, really. Mm. And they really pushed it. And I must say that I was speaking to people that some people, a million downloaded it and watched the whole season in one go, which was is like off the charts on binge watching. Have you seen it, Richard? Yes, I saw all four episodes. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because it's a genuinely mind-bogglingly awful story it's awful you can't what, what, you, it, what happened to these people and it's awful that it was done as you say um it seems to have been done knowingly now people have been writing about this for a while computer weekly were the first people to yeah. bring it up at all private eye have written about it you've written about it a lot so it's a well, story the, that I, I, felt... do, I do not go right back to the beginning on this one and mm. i should say that right from the start but nick wallace the journalist for the bbc who I mean, this is not denigrating local news at all. He was a fantastic, and he's now a freelancer, but he details very well in his book, Great Post Office Scandal. I mean, the struggle to get a tiny item on local news about it, on local TV news, was huge, and he kept plugging, and it's extraordinary that it's taken this long. It's really a sort of over-20-year story. It's fascinating that it takes a terrestrial television drama that much maligned species that we're told no one watches anymore to really raise it to the biggest story in the country, a real lightning rod. So suddenly the politicians are having to take it seriously. Uh, and it is an extraordinary thing that why, why people sort of cry conspiracy and incompetence about a million different things a day on Twitter and, and on Facebook, that this thing was staring us in the face this is what all it really along. looks like. It's yeah. absolutely extraordinary. This is, a, you know, in a way it has everything. It has all the ingredients for a drama because it's a sort of tale of executives and computers being be believed over ordinary people who, by the way, I mean, the leap postmistresses, postmasters, the least gangsterish class out there. They're really <laughs> pillars of their communities. And for this to happen, it's... It could, you sort of feel it could happen to anybody because if they, if it could happen to so many people and such dreadful consequences, and then no one really, it never got had the purchase on the public imagination. And I must say that the mainstream media in general have not, with some exceptions, have not been great at covering it. They're certainly covering it now. Yeah. But 
you know, don't worry if you're not fully caught up because the second best time to start caring about it is now. The inquiry is running right now as we speak. You can watch it on their YouTube channel. It's really well run, the inquiry. It's um, The judge, Wynne Williams, um, is um, in charge of it and their YouTube channel is very good. And this week they've got Fujitsu, who are the people who are responsible for the Horizon computer system. People haven't been adequately compensated. There are three different schemes for compensation, none of which are properly adequate. And as I say, many people have died without receiving any of it. What I think is interesting, to talk about the drama itself, because mm. that's... That's what we do on this yes, show. Yes, exactly. Um, the screenwriter, Gwyneth Hughes, has had... I remember when I first heard about this, which was quite a long time ago, that it, that it was going to happen. I was so thrilled they were going to do it. But I did think, God, I don't sort of envy you having to try and wrestle that material because the sheer scale of it, trying to wrestle it into individual stories, she used the figure of Alan Bates, which is by far the best thing to do. Um, and to try and kind of get it, she said that when she was writing it, she was had this sort of image in her mind of Avengers Assemble, except instead of superheroes, it was people in like woolly hats driving Austin minis. And it's... It, She's done. She's done a fantastic job in making it very clear. And I mean, God, what a sinister computer! You know, when you look at this like little computer system, this Horizon terminal beeping kind of malevolently away under these counters, it really is a chill. Um, and so I think she's done a sort of fantastic job. ITV have done a fantastic job in actually going for this story. I have seen a lot of people on social media and other places saying, "Well, I'm really annoyed it's taken a television drama to bring this to 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 bring this to people's attention." Whereas, uh, why? That's absolutely fantastic for, uh, as you say, a linear terrestrial broadcast drama to suddenly ignite the public consciousness like this. There are other examples, and we can talk about some of those in a minute. But this is that's really isn't that a most wonderful story? And you know what? I was in touch with Rebecca Thompson, who we've talked about, who wrote the first Computer Weekly story about it in two thousand and nine. None of these people they're thrilled about what's happened in the drama, whatever it takes to get it over the line. For whatever reason, the way you can like mass raise mass consciousness about this that television has done that is I think think it's an incredible story there are other stories out there the loan charge scandal these are things that people don't really know about but which I hope people and broadcasters will think well hang on let's get into that what are what are other things we could do to kind of create these mass moments about something that's real and really happening now and extraordinarily cast as well I think you know you've got Toby Jones as Alan Bates uh, and I think it's a good rule of thumb if you're a politician or an executive somewhere and you're having trouble with somebody at the moment and you're trying to get one over on them just think, in 20 years' time, could the person I'm trying to get one over on possibly be played by Toby Jones in a drama on ITV? And if they could, then you're probably in the wrong. You're losing, I, I big say. time. But yeah, to have Toby Jones and uh, Judy uh, Hesman-Halge and uh, uh, Monica Dolan, just great ITV names. I kept expecting Jason Watkins to turn up, yes. uh, maybe in series two. Uh, it's It just it humanises the story so perfectly. But the material they are working with it's so devastating. I mean, it's, it's you, you want to throw things at the screen. The woman at the heart of this thing, Paula Venels. Now, Paula Venels has not been charged with anything. She's the subject of this current inquiry, one of the many subjects, but she has not been charged with anything. She got a CBE in 2019, the year 2019. So, is. so can she be all bad? That's all I'm saying. If she got a C, they wouldn't give her a CBE if she'd done something. Alan wrong. Bates has refused his OBE while has she he? still retains hers. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's something to get behind in 2024. Yeah, unless she's innocent. Unless she's innocent. No, Sir Alan Bates, I which think. Which is uh, I think Sir Alan Bates. But wasn't strike. Alan Bates the actor, Sir Alan Bates? Uh, was he? Oh, oh that, right. Be a well, bit I'm, I'm happy for him to be in the upper chamber, quite frankly. Can okay. he be in the House of Lords? <laughs> Lord I'm Bates. quite happy for it, yeah. Um, I think that... Michelle Monau, him in. 
Oh, what yeah. a, come one on, M- what a trade up. Oh. One by one, let's try and raise the bar. Promotion and relegation from yeah. the House of Lords. Yeah. We should, that's something we could. Yes, we well, could, I mean, uh, that is really what Lords Reform might look like. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like the playoffs at Wembley. Yes. Um, I think that there's something to be said. We're all in silos. I get it. We're all in bu- bubbles, and, you know, people can shout and talk all they want about certain subjects, and it comes to the point where you're talking to a smaller and smaller group of people there's something that only television can do and only terrestrial television can do and that's get millions upon millions upon millions of people to watch something and if you've got five million people six seven by by the time um uh all the itvx figures are put in that is quite a significant proportion of the british people and certainly enough of a proportion of the british people for this to be a genuine story i mean by the you way, I think it's going to be a lot more than that. I think it could be go up to 10, and I think it could be their biggest uh, drama of the year. Which would be so great and such a testament to Alan Bates and to all the other incredible um, campaigners who've been through everything. But fascinating that politicians have learned over the last 10, 15 years that they can ignore almost everything yeah. because they recognise that everything is siloed and they recognise that after the first initial sort of flame of something, it burns out smaller and smaller, you know, gets smaller and smaller, and then it disappears so you can ignore stuff trump understands you can ignore stuff yeah. rishi sunak has you now have understood four news cycles a day you can just turn it over onto something else exactly that but everybody still recognizes and you can see that sunak recognizes that sometimes a story leaps to the top of the uh, agenda and is staying there and itv and terrestrial drama has done that this week and actually, there are very few. I was looking back and I was trying to sort of make a do a, I'm sure I've left some out, but a little bit of an audit of these things, the TV dramas that actually made a difference to public policy, to social consciousness about an issue. And there are really, obviously, the main first one that people say is Kathy Come Home, which was about a young family that come home, become homeless. And that's in 1966. That's directed by Ken Loach, written by Jeremy Sanford. That changed things. Not quite, in, in, in almost in the public imagination, people think it changed more. Who bombed Birmingham? Again, ITV, 1990. That was about the Birmingham pub bomb. These are the things, they're, they're very few that actually make a, a difference. But this kind of catapulted that in, uh, story back to public consciousness and the actual interrogated the story. And in the next year, the uh, Birmingham Six were exonerated in the Court of Appeal. Jimmy McGovern's Hillsborough was a huge part, again for ITV, it was a huge part of getting public consciousness and pushing for the inquiry or inquiries as it turned out. But there weren't that many, it's interesting that some of these haven't been on the, most of these haven't been on the BBC. In the mid 80s, they had stuff like threads, which really changed. There was that kind of spate of kind of the idea of nuclear horror. In America, they had one which was called The Day After, I think. And there was one that the BBC made called The War Game, which which was so shocking about what would happen in nuclear war that they couldn't broadcast it. And they ended up broadcasting it around that mid-80s moment. They didn't broadcast it for 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, and we haven't had a nuclear war, so those no. worked. So those, yeah. But, yeah. But, but it contributed to people thinking, what are we doing yeah. here? And uh, it contributed to the idea of uh, weapons proliferation. Yeah. By the way, I should I should say at time of recording, we haven't had a nuclear war. We haven't had, we yes, re- please. We're recording we're, this on this Monday morning. this is the last thing you hear, I'm incredibly yeah, yeah. sorry. So you say the inquiry... Still ongoing. We can watch it on the YouTube channel of... You can watch it on the Post Office Inquiry YouTube channel. It's very easy to access and it will be starting again on Thursday the 11th of January. And we can play the game of who do we cast in Mr Bates versus the Post Office 2. Yes. Kudos to 
ITV and to everyone in that. And but most kudos of all to uh, Alan Bates and the, the incredible campaigners. And it's so lovely to have that story properly out there and in a way that's never going to be ignored again. Absolutely. Shall we move on? Shall we just do a slight one-show type gear change uh, and talk about the traitors? Yes, please. As I say, no spoilers. I absolutely promise you that. But the first three episodes have dropped. The next three episodes are dropping on Wednesday. We've watched the first three. I thought the fun thing to do, because I don't want to give away spoilers, because people will watch this at different times, is talking about how we might go about winning the traitors. Because when you watch, that's all you're doing, right? You're working out how you would react. So The Traitors is a show where I think about 22 contestants are locked up in a Scottish castle. Three of them are made, or around three are made traitors and the rest are called the faithful and they have to work out, almost like a sort of game of wink murder, who who is a traitor and who is a faithful um, and they have to undergo a few missions every, um, a different mission every day for fun and they at, ni- at night they sit around something called the round table which is the centrepiece of the show where they accuse each other and also the traitors every night after that decide on one person to murder. And last year it was a huge first series on the BBC One, their biggest entertainment launch for years and years and years, a massive hit. First of all, would you rather be a traitor or a faithful? I would rather be a traitor. The clue is in you, the title. You the traitors, me. the traitors are on the game. Yeah, it's much harder to win as a faithful. Although yeah. in the first series, some faith, in one of the first three series, some faithfuls have won. But I, I don't think that they were the greatest strategists. I think more of the game is luck. I certainly think it's easier being a traitor, that's for sure. You just have control over the game slightly there in as much as anyone ever has control over the game. So talk me through how you would win the traitors. First of all... You you, you walk in, day one. Day one. I've got to have a good social game. I know I have because it's so much... You also get these ones who appear in the first episode and say, I'm a master strategist, I'm really good at this stuff... (laughs) that's how I'll win the game. It's like, yes, but you're not a very nice person. (laughs) We swiftly see those depart. So I would do that. I think if I was a faithful, honestly, if I was lucky enough, I would try and identify the apex apex predator, the most powerful traitor. Say to everyone, it could never be him. Become friends with that person. I don't know what I'm saying as a man. It might be a lady. Uh, I could never be him or her. It could never be. The one person I know it isn't. And say that all along. Get to the final and knife them there. That's good, but then you have to know who the traitor is. Yeah, well, I bat myself. You bat <laughs> because you read people. I'm a reader of people. <laughs> Although, of course, one of the great satisfying things about the show is watching people who are really confident. They're confident enough to be oh. up on television, get it wrong every night, and then be shown to have got them wrong every night. Oh. Because this is what we want to happen in real life. This is what we want to see. We're all around people all day long who are wrong, but don't quite get it, and maybe will never get it. And this is like watching very confident people be shown every day. Yeah, you, you were wrong about that. Yeah, you got that completely wrong. Immediate consequence yeah. is such a beautiful. And there was a guy in the first series in the UK who was a magician. Yeah. And he was it was about three episodes in and he you know what? He tired of the shenanigans. Like he'd let the little people play their game and he said, <laughs> Guys, you have to understand this is what I do for a living and I'm pretty good at it. Uh I read people. I'm telling you now that John is a traitor. Uh listen, if he's not, get rid of me. But he is. <laughs> bye bye, dickhead. Yeah, but we see that in public life all the time, right? That's all Twitter is. Yeah. It's people going, thing you don't understand about this situation yeah. and that I do understand is this. Hashtag thank me later. <laughs> right. So we see it all the time. And of course, those people never get proved wrong, really. Or if they do, it's months later. Yeah, yeah. on this. So he goes, yeah, uh, it's John. Um, I just read people. I just yeah. have an instinct that you guys don't have. And then, of course, John is a faithful. Uh, and this guy's going, you know what? My bad. 
My bad. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah, but everyone knows you're an idiot. Yeah. Like we knew, it, but it's, yeah, it's so lovely to see people get their uh, comeuppance. A couple of clairvoyants haven't done as, best, uh, as well as they might have done. The, yeah, there's an Australian clairvoyant, and yeah, but there's, there's a clairvoyant I in this. I think her uh, signal was blocked. In the, <laughs> there's a clairvoyant in this new one. But it's interesting to have a clairvoyant in there because the truth is, Everyone's name is mentioned at some point, right? Yeah. People, you know, keep saying, oh, it's so-and-so, it's so-and-so, it's so-and-so. At some point, a clairvoyant can get lucky and get you. And also, you know, there might be, if they suddenly go, oh, um, Paula yeah. is the traitor, and she actually is, that's a problem for the traitors because there's enough people who go, well, the clairvoyant well, said it. Well, it's uh, a Derek Akora situation, yeah. And so I would always get rid of a clairvoyant immediately not because they actually know but because they can influence people there's a glitch in the first series of the traitors which is this you have to think about the show as a as a producer right in the first series this is how we see each murder they discuss the murders they get it down to three people and then they're all sat down at breakfast and the people come in one by one until we discover who's been murdered okay but because it's tv we know they're discussing three people so the last person through the door who hasn't been murdered was always someone they had been thinking about murdering. Because as TV viewers, we want it to be between... Oh, you know, my so you children got, identified this the other day, so and I got, was like, why had I not thought of that? So you got John or Mary. and so, Yes. So in that first series, you would know exactly who was not a traitor by who came through the door last. Or surely if they repeated it for the second series, because they would, those people might not have thought it like that because they'd never seen the show, show Well, that's the thing. The second series, of course, they're changing it up because they're not idiots. Yeah. But if I was in there, the, first, the last person come through the door, I would take a side and say, listen, this is just between me and you, but I know for a fact you're not a traitor. And I would say that to everybody who came last through the door. And that would put a protective bubble around me. Firstly, the people thought I was trusted. Uh, I trusted them. So if they're faithful, they're like, oh, man, yeah, this is great. This is, this is proof. But if they're a traitor, as you say, that's the way to make friends with an apex traitor. Is I can say, I know for a fact that you're definitely not a traitor. So that's what you have to do. All you've got to do in this game is survive for as long as you can. It's not about finding traitors, this game. At all. Yeah. It's just not because if you, you get, get rid of a the, traitor, yeah. they replace the traitor. The traitors are like the sugar babes. You know, they were, there's, there's, a, there's a never <laughs> end. Broom. They're exactly that. They can just replace them. So all you've got to do is get through to that last five. And when you're there, if you've been a faithful all along, good luck. But at some point, you would have been made a traitor by that. But you can't stay in that game that long and not have been. I would made like a... to be made a traitor. Sorry, that's the other thing I would yeah, like yeah, to say. Yeah. I would like to be recruited. That works. The key, as we all know, it's the key in life as well. It's a key in every single reality show, and yet people forget every single time, is shut up for the first couple of episodes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. if you're a traitor or you're faithful, keep quiet. Why are these people being, do you know what? I'm going to lead this. I think you're a traitor. Mate, just, 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 you could have just said nothing. It's possible not to tweet. It's it just, is, it's totally possible not to say anything. It is possible not to tweet. It's exactly right. And it, just keep quiet for a few weeks. It's like those people in The Apprentice who go, uh, yeah, I'll be team leader first week. You think you've just moved your chances from being one of 20 people to get knocked out to one of two people. And no one will remember in week three that you, you said you were going to be the team leader. And in The Traitors, it's the same. Don't accuse anybody. Don't be a character. Don't even wear an unusual hat. Don't peacock in any way whatsoever. If I, I would always be sat down so people didn't realise I was really tall, because that, that would be enough. they go, it's quite, do you know the thing about Richard? He's quite tall, isn't he? And does that... I'd have enjoyed seeing you on the missions try to achieve this, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think you'd have broken your cover there. You reckon? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Why is he sitting down when he's swimming? It's so it's so <laughs> weird. Here's one of the key things about could you win the traitors? Because, you know, we can sit here and chat about, you know, making alliances and, uh, you know, not standing out too much. But I was talking to um, one of the producers of it, and he said, here's one of the key things you have to remember. We do this at incredible speed. He said they are locked up every single day. Someone's being uh, banished and someone's being murdered every single day. And then there's these, you know, um, loads and loads of film in the lo- We've got to do the tasks and challenges. The tension is ratcheted. He said when they go into that round table, they play that song, The Hanging Tree from Hunger Games. No, they don't. Yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. Just to make it even more haunting. And we- we've all been in situations with groups of people where we're thrown together where uh, reality does become heightened. Yeah. You know, we, you, you, there, there is group think does happen. And however smart we like to think we are, it would happen to us as well. So they are under incredible pressure. Someone has a sort of full of scale verbal collapse in one of these yeah, episodes. Which is amazing. The first time I've heard the word, am I or am I? <laughs> yeah, but it's really. Amant. He keeps yeah. saying amant. Yeah. I mean, and, and knows he's having it and is sort of having an out of body like. It's absolutely furious. I don't with know what's. I, I don't understand what's happened to me. I thought I was. I think he says, like, I always thought I was tough and I'm. I'm sort of breaking here. I think what you have to be essentially is someone, someone who's kind but incredibly good at lying, which is quite a rare combination. But the way I would get through it is always think as a producer. So as I say, the little trick with the last person yeah. through the door. Uh, again, I talked to the producer, I said, is, are you still doing that? They said, no, no, we've changed that. I thought, yeah. that's slightly annoying. But I can still use it to my advantage one way or another. Uh, and to think, who was it most interesting they've cast as a traitor? If I was the producer of this show... Who would I cast yeah. as a traitor? Which of the quiet people would I cast as a traitor? And again, that thing of they, they always tend to go, maybe we should look at the quiet people. You think, yeah, yeah, of course you should look at the quiet but, well, the people. Her, well, That's the exactly. herd behaviour is yeah. so extraordinary. There's such a lot of, I saw Goody Proctor with the devil. Yes. That, and then everyone feels <laughs> like, well, if we all get behind that person today, then we're all sort of, that. that is... That's that that happens a lot. Yeah, and they um, do, they they do amazing things like you know some, someone, you know if if you do something like when you cheer when the faithful is found for whatever reason people go oh that's what a traitor would do you think what well, a, a traitor a traitor did what a traitor would do a traitor would do nothing yeah a traitor will absolutely keep quiet because they so all they have to do is keep quiet by and large quite uninsightful people get through to the end of that show because why would you vote them off. But you know, if if someone yeah. if someone is is there's a stupidity premium, if I can put it that way. This 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 sort of is, uh, but stupidity mixed with kindness. So if you've got stupidity mixed with 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 extreme aggressiveness, then that's unpredictable. And you have to get rid of it. Also, that mother father thing from reality TV. If you become a sort of older fig, older statesman, yes. stateswoman figure, that that helps you a lot. Yeah, that's what people want. People yeah. people need to feel part of their family. I will say, of these first three episodes, there are some genuine gasp out loud moments yeah i mean they're really if, if if you haven't watched them there's 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 like some proper brilliant stuff in there and again completely different to the last series and that's that's testament to the producers but yeah. there's there's one particular moment in episode three. Oh, which is an absolute marmalade dropper yeah, not is... that it was a bit late in the evening and i didn't have any marmalade but nearly lost the drink i mean really it was extraordinary <laughs> and i must say a shout out to the superlative presenting skills of Claudia Winkleman who I yeah, think does great. she because she's normally sort of like your best ally and your best friend and giggles along with you and in this she has to be something really quite different yeah. and I full credit to her and of course to her Highland stylist there's n- yeah, barely a woman out great. there not wanting every coat and jumper 
Uh, also, I like it when she breaks character a little bit yeah. and can't help but be nice. Yeah, <laughs> she does she every now and again, and then she goes, "Oh no, hold on, Claudia, you're supposed to hold yeah, on, no, be, yeah. you have to be tough." Um, so I would say if you, if you haven't started watching, it's really well worth your time. The first three episodes are already on iPlayer, and the and, next ones don't drop till this Wednesday, so you can catch up, and it's yeah. amazing. And there's another three are dropping this Wednesday. That's yes. right, isn't it? But um, and honestly, I would be voted out in week three. Is the truth? Oh, I'd be that's, in week one. It's like you know. Would you be? Would you ever be prime minister, Marina? It would be a failed state in six six hours. I should oh, think. Six I would hours. be. Do you know what? I'd be a worse prime minister than you. No, no. Oh it's not god, possible. yeah, it'd be awful. It's not possible. Yeah, don't you think? <laughs> I can only think of one other person in the in the rest of stable who'd be a worse prime minister than us two. I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> should we take a little break? Yes, let's do that now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ah. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to The Rest is Entertainment. Um, can I talk, before we talk about the Golden Globes, I just want to touch on the darts for Please a touch on them heavily. Everyone had to, you mustn't touch on them too heavily. No, so a, a light grip is the key for playing darts. Everyone went darts insane because of Luke Little, this 16 year old from uh, from Warrington, who got through to the, the final in his first year. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about what that might mean and uh, what, what wider things we can take from it. Firstly, I'll say that darts is the single best television sport. The reason that anyone who turned on because there's a 16-year-old to watch it and loved it is because the format of darts is the best format there is. A small number of legs... Don't write in. It's, he's not going to budge on this one. Oh, I ain't budging. But also, when I explain my thinking, you'll go, oh, do you know what? At first I thought you were wrong, but now I think you're right. <laughs> um, and perhaps you should be Prime Minister. Um, <laughs> the first thing I bring in is to, uh, is to uh, implement darts... Uh, formats on other sports it's all jeopardy it's all moments of jeopardy darts they have a very small number of legs in each set so first to three so even the first leg of any set is very very important it has this beautiful thing if you have to finish on a double which is the hardest shot you take in the entire leg so you can be miles ahead and still lose like any format creator would be so happy to have created that that double two will be giving him nightmares for Exactly. Do you see what I mean? Whereas if you just had to get to 501, you think, oh, oh, you've done it. Let's yeah. do the next set. I want to compare and contrast it to tennis. In darts, first to three wins you a set. Okay. In tennis, firstly, each of the games are longer, but also you've got to win six games to win a set. So if you win a game of tennis, you have to win 
six games each for three sets. Okay, that's how you win a game of tennis. Tennis will be twice as exciting if you had to win three games each in six sets. So it's the first of six sets, you win three games in each set, then every single game of tennis at Wimbledon is exciting. Not for the purists, I get that, but sport isn't for the purists, right? You want to grow sport. We could totally do something with tennis. Has they the could... best commentator in all of sport and who is entirely wasted on his sport, McEnroe. Ma he's amazing. Again, please don't write him. Unless you're John McEnroe, in which case, feel free to write in. But sport, the key thing is, don't reduce the amount of effort anyone has to put in to win. Okay? You have to, you, you know, like in, in the darts, you have to win seven sets to win that final. It's a lot. It's a lot of throwing. Um... There was once a documentary called Darts Wives and a guy called Chris Mason, uh, his wife was on there and he said, um, they think you're unfit, don't, don't they? But um, we put um, one of those pedometers on you when you were playing darts and at the end of the game, how, how much had you walked? He went, yeah, that was about 450 metres, wasn't it? He goes, yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. Um, so if I've moved on to tennis, if you're playing exactly the same amount of games, but there are twice as many big moments of jeopardy in exactly the same number of games. The game is the same. The same people are serving. You're hitting exactly the same shots over exactly the same period of time. But if you're watching, there are twice as many exciting bits. Darts does that. Darts knows that a small number of legs in a large number of sets. Sometimes the darts just does set, uh, just does leg play and it's boring. It's like first to 11 and yeah. stuff like that. But if you're doing sets and legs, that's the way to do sports. So anyone who was turning on just because there's this 16-year-old there, actually, you're sort of drawn in because you are never ever bored but the ratings were extraordinary now weirdly we don't just throw this podcast together it was on at the same time as mr bates versus the post office and the traitors, and traitors first episode yeah. so they all launched at the same time and guess which got the biggest ratings the darts now of course with catch up and so on it won't but the only thing people really 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 are watching now live is sport so 2022 the top 100 shows on American network television. How many do you reckon were scripted shows, dramas and sitcoms? The top 100 broadcasts. I don't know. Tell me. I'm... Zero. Really? 82 were NFL games. 82 of the top 100. Ah, I see. Okay. Others were college games. Others were college basketball games. There is not a single... I think 90-odd of the top 100 things are sports. That's where terrestrial television is going. There's more and more and more money. But it's also where streaming is going. And actually, people are talking yeah. about Netflix are going to have to get in to... Clearly, Amazon are getting into live sport in a much bigger way. Netflix, Disney is trying to put together ESPN and as, as, a, as a standalone streamer. Um, and everybody's going to have to get into the linear of sport, it's whether exactly or not you're a, you're a streaming service. Well, you can't force fast forward through the efforts if something's live. Yeah. You know, you cannot fast forward through them. Uh, and, you know, that darts, you know, it peaked at 4.8 million. You could not launch a new show to 4.8 million. You just, you could not do it. And sports does it all the time. And it throws up these Was that stories. that bigger than The Ashes? It's bigger than any show Sky Sports has ever had apart from football. Isn't that fascinating? In the entire history of Sky Sports. Uh, and it's because sport throws up characters that general culture doesn't. You know, if you're a marketing executive, uh, you are not promoting Luke Littler uh, as the face of your television programme. However, if you play sport, if you're the best in the world, you're the best in the world. It doesn't matter if you're 16 or whatever you are. So someone like Luke Littler comes through and you know what? Turns out that is what British people want. 
British people do want to see this kid who's 16 years old, who's incredibly articulate, who's incredibly good at what he does, uh, who gives us something culturally we haven't seen before. And it'll be fascinating to see what our culture does to him over the next year and over the next five years and over the next 10 years. One imagines over the next year it will give him a very rough ride. One yes. hopes over the next three years it'll get easier and one hopes by the time he's 26 he'll be a, just a very well-played, very, very happy sports person. Now, on an earlier episode of this podcast, you suggested that they made an amazing No Holds Barred behind-the-scenes documentary in professional darts. About like a drive to survive for darts. Yeah. Are, are they now doing this? They are doing that. They are Sky doing this now. are doing it. Isn't that great? Yes. It's, I mean, the content almost that goes around the sport yeah. in, that, in, in, in this current era is just as important. Um, Drive to Survive has obviously been absolutely massive for bringing audiences into Formula One. And the more you have sort of a sport-adjacent content, yeah. the more your sport is amplified. It's exactly that. Sport has always been and always will be soap opera. Nothing else. It's fine to see that someone scores a wonderful goal, and that's lovely. We love seeing it. But it is soap opera. It's who's a goodie, who's a bad whose father used to play for this team they're now playing against you know whose mum you know originally played football for England and wasn't paid and now you're on a million quid you know it's it's soap opera it's all it is uh, but you can't do soap opera if you don't know the personalities and one thing darts has got it's got personalities it's got some in it huge personalities. You know, in a way in a way that other sports do not have I, I it, they've, they've called this documentary by the way darts <laughs> Which I quite like. I would have called it... Uh, the Darts, The surely. Darts is what I, I would have yeah. called it. But um, listen... Absolutely essential, definite article. They know their business. So I'll say this. Listen, we, we, we've talked about a 69-year-old sub-postmaster, Alan Bates. Now we're talking about a 16-year-old kid from Warrington, Luke Littler. And isn't it amazing where we find our heroes? Yeah. And it, it's, it speaks to us as a country that those two people, you know are what we want to uh, Dominated the first week of January it's 2024. Absolutely wonderful. And on that note, let's talk about some um, celebrities, shall we? The last night was the Golden Globes. We were recording this on a Monday. And uh, that is the, it's sort of the traditional kickoff of the film award seasons, although they do award television as mm -hmm. well. Big winners were Oppenheimer, Poor Things, uh, with the Emma Stone um, film, on the TV side, Succession, which is not unexpected. Barbie was sort of overlooked quite a lot. It, they created this special sort of category for it. What was it called? Box Office and Cinematic Achievements, yeah. which was A, a reason to make Taylor Swift attend your award ceremony because her era's tour movie, which was sold directly into theatres, was nominated and she did attend. So that was probably enough for them. Um, and then Barbie got that particular award. Um, but... It's quite. It's, I was sort of trying to find out from someone who was there last night what it was like, and they said that um, that the, basically that this used to be run by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. These awards, the Golden Globes, and there've been a number of scandals, sort of corruption, sexual misconduct, diversity, which I won't trouble you with today. Suffice to say, they are now, now run by they are now owned by Chelsea owner Todd Bowley. <laughs> But and everything he touches, and everything turns he touches, gold, doesn't it? everything. Well, wow. The old Bowley touch was in evidence for the studios last night because apparently there was a seating arrangement that no one was happy with. The type of staging meant that rather than sort of everyone being down in the pit, in you know, like we're all really, really important and we're all going to win our awards, there were tears of tables, which is oh, potential. No. You know, apparently some people were thinking they might not even go. Um, but it was, anyway, and it seems to be, uh, from the clips I've seen, you couldn't watch it in the UK, as far as I can work out, despite the fact I subscribed to Paramount Plus. But um, the, there was a, some sort of fiascoid hosting by a, a comedian called 
Joe Coy, who I mm. wasn't aware of and on current evidence probably won't be revisiting the back catalogue of. Although is, is Chelsea's new left back, I'm, is, being, I'm being told. I'm all be as good as all the other ones. Brand, ex, brand extensions. Yeah, so it's quite an awkward vibe. Um, but I think what's interesting about this is that Awards used to be absolutely massive business for the studios. They all wanted them because there was a huge awards bump. The Golden Globes were always a little bit um, kind of wacky and did their own thing, but they were, to some extent, one of the precursors to the Oscars, which were obviously the big ones. But the Oscar bump, as they call it, which used to be if your award, your movie was nominated and let alone won, we got a huge sort of boost in I the audience. I, I thought the Oscar bump was cocaine. Is it it? Oscar Sorry. Bump. <laughs> I, I, there's probably less of that. Is in the, there's, less, there's less of both. Ah, so what's, what's happened to this world? I think what's happened... Um, <laughs> But theatre owners are saying that the box office, you know, I mean, we've got quite had a quite weird year in 2023 because Barbenheimer, the Barbenheimer phenomenon mm. did a, a whole lot of business for theatres. And I, they are predicting that theatres, theatre owners are saying that their takings will be down 25% this coming year. All over America and other places, movie theatres are being turned into soft play areas, climbing walls. It's very, it, you know, it's a really difficult time. But I think what's interesting about this is that there is now such a huge disconnect between the movies that people go to see and the movies that win the awards. And this is not necessarily the case with Oppenheimer, but in almost all these other things, you know, in the old days, something like obviously The Godfather opens huge. The Godfather would now be a niche film. I mean, mm -hmm. Rain Man. This is in today's money, a bit, almost a billion dollar movie. There's no way Rain Man would be anything like that these days. The, so what happens is that the people are going to see the fourth, fifth, 10th iteration of franchise movies which are the studio's big tent poles and then there's this whole other sort of hived off side category which was movies that might win awards you know I mean I loved Anatomy of a Four past lives but these are not things that people throng to see and that has become more and more and more over the last two decades a huge disconnect and in a way it means not only that award ceremonies are less culturally relevant which I definitely think they are um, but also that the films, to some extent, are not really the ones that people see. So you kind of wonder why you have this whole huge apparatus. There is prestige attached to awards. Of course there is. I mean, I personally don't like awards in general for creative endeavours. That's a really unpopular opinion. I think any kinds of awards, actually, I think are useless and you stupid. Turn them, you, you turn them away. Turn them back. I, I don't want it. I anyone, do not want your Columbus of the Year I, award. But I, I have to running. say that I don't... I don't but I... I have to say, I think that about all awards. I shall say that. Definitely. I will all say this to you. Stupid. You will prize my TV Choice Award out I'm... of my cold, dead hands. <laughs> Tell you that for nothing. But listen, I've, I've talked to. I remember talking to one of the Veep writers, and they said, you know, one night, yeah, they were at the um, Emmys, and they were sitting, and it was like they were sort of, you know, pitching. Breaking Bad against Game of Thrones. And they were like, just why are we doing this? They're both brilliant. You know, the idea that you're sort of in some kind of weird confected competition. But that's, that's what like sport's saying... for. That's what sport's for. Yeah, but it is I sport. don't think you should. No, it's not. Yeah, of no, course it's not, show Richard. business no, is sport. Yeah. Oh, oh, don't be ridiculous. Of course it's it is. No, this creators of endeavours are not sport. But you could sport say, is sport. But Luke Litter and Luke Humphreys, you could have just said, you know what? You're both great in different ways. Why don't we? No, because you know it's sport. Share the money. But you don't do that with art. That, that there must there must be. That, of that's course just you a do it with mistake. art. No, you don't. Otherwise, no, you art don't. is boring. You know, there's nothing better than listen. I love to watch television programs, but it's more fun to then rank them oh my and say God. which are the best ten. Don't but, you think? No, I think that's yeah. I think that's unbelievably depressing. You love no. <laughs> unbelievably so. Of, of all the depressing things you've heard, where would you rank that on a list? <laughs> Because that, that's what I'm interested in. It's very in. male as well. 
Yes. Oh, it is very. But you know, listen. I got news for you. Oh, listen. I love men. I've got a huge <laughs> amount of time for them. But this is ridiculous. I love it. I love those guys. Uh, no. But all I'm saying is, uh, I quite like that there are rewards. I mean, the by and large, they always go to the wrong people. But I, do, I don't think it does create people any harm every now and again to have a little bit of. Um, they're often revenue gathering schemes. My industry, yeah. journal journalism. There are about three awards, which are always referred to, by the way, in any industry as the Oscars of our industry. Yes. Uh, which I always find hilarious. There's, I've seen plumbing awards. They're called the Oscars. Of the, widely, right, if you ever read, see them written, widely regarded as the Oscars of the plumbing industry. Do you know there was about? It was quite a while ago now, but there, the awards industry became so big that there was something for a couple of years called the Awards Awards, which awarded excellence in the awards industry because obviously wow. these ceremonies take a lot. Anyway, so they had a big ballroom up in you know high. I on part lane somewhere. And I they, like it. Yeah. I think it's a night out for people. I think I think people quite enjoy it. People in all industries like it. But the one thing you know about everything from the Golden Globes to the Plumbers Awards is afterwards there's four or five plumbers going. I cannot believe Dave got best newcomer. <laughs> I mean, have you seen his U-bends? I mean, literally, I was doing that ten years ago. So, but it's a, whatever the industry. Okay, it's exactly the same. Can I? A couple of things I thought about the Golden Globes. Yes. Firstly, that monologue, the Joe Coy monologue, which you can watch online. Uh, I was uh, to, I was talking to someone who writes um, a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, award show things. And whenever you do things like the BAFTAs, they will always cut to the person you're talking about, yeah. right? They're the only people there who are not going to laugh. So if you do a joke about Daniel Day-Lewis, of course the director then cuts to Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis is not going to be laughing his head off. I was talking to somebody who wrote a joke about Robert De Niro. You know, suddenly all over the papers it goes, um, joke falls flat. And you think, well, no, everyone was laughing. It's just the camera was on Robert De Niro, who for whatever reason, didn't enjoy the joke that was done about him. So I think it's quite hard to write a monologue for awards. Firstly, the host will say, oh, I'm going to write my own stuff. And then two days beforehand we go, actually, I haven't, I haven't had time to anything. write my own stuff. <laughs> you will then send a list of 50 gags. The production company will veto 40 of those gags for reasons of taste or whatever it is or because they don't get them. The host will then not understand eight of the next ten. You are then told hastily to go away and rewrite different versions of the gags you've wrote because we don't want to upset Leonardo DiCaprio. And then the host will then mangle the jokes that do exist and, as is the case of Joe Coy, slag off the writers, which is yep. what he did, which is the one thing you must not do. Another thing is I read the headline this morning that Timothy Chalamet and Kylie were on a date. And Kylie thought, Jenner, that is. But that, the littlest Kardashian. But that's it. This is, I suddenly realised, oh, of course, you're so out of touch. Because I was thinking, blimey, Kylie, you go for it. That's <laughs> not, I, I, I thought, that's not bad. But you think, the fact they called her Kylie instead of Kylie Jenner. Yeah. I thought, has she even taken the, the single name? Of Kylie? No, I don't know. She hasn't taken the single name. That was ridiculous. No. Okay, good. So that that wasn't me at fault. No, I don't think so. I think she's always should be Kylie Jenner in headline. She ha she's not a single name headline person. And finally, how is the bear and how are any of the actors in the bear winning best comedy and best comedy actors? Explain that to me. It is it is not a comedy. They are not comedy actors. Well, it's it's uh, interesting that it's. I mean, there's there's always these kind of category things where people are saying why that that should, you know and. Um, I think there's a lot. There's another controversy where people are saying, "Why is Barbie adapted screenplay? Because mm. you've adapted it from a from a toy." Which I think actually is part of the problem with, with perhaps with the movie is that it is a giant movie made in the service of Mattel. That's the only, that's one of the big things. I much as I enjoyed going to it and enjoyed seeing it, and it's sort of great what they've done. 
there's a real chill down my spine that you make something like that in the service of a toy a toy corporation. Um, but yes, no, I don't know. There's a lot, but a lot of people are saying they shouldn't be in those categories. Mm. Um, but I guess you you take where you're nominated and where you can win. So, but if you're I just don't understand as a jury that you watch the bear and go, yeah, that's that's the best comedy. I don't understand how you watch, and it won yeah. the best comedy. Jeremy Allen White won best comic actor. Uh, Io Edabiri won best comic actress. It's... And it, if you did a supercut of the funniest bits of both of their performances, there there is not. A, and by the way, brilliant it's performances. It's an amazing, an amazing it's show. Great. Yes, but... but it is not funny. It is not Del Boy falling through yeah. the bar. You know, which is what I mean. It's not yes, funny. and I think it's hard, as you say, for other comedies because yeah. it's so very good that if it's in that category, you sort of feel like you have to award it. But uh, exactly that. But yeah, if I if I was any of the other actors from any of the other shows, I it's it's a bit come on muttering into their pints. Yeah. My opinion is you shouldn't put art up against other art. I don't like it. I don't like award shows. I don't like you know. To me, that's 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 sport. You know, to me to say is the bear funnier than Ted Lasso? You know, come on. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'll say this about Jeremy Allen White, though. Have you seen the, uh, the his Calvin Klein photos that broke the internet? Yes, obviously I can see why the internet was suddenly cracked. Yeah. <laughs> Damaged, I mean, faulty. Goodness me, he's ripped, isn't he? Yes, he is. I can see why they gave him a best comedy performance. Yes. For that. G- give the guy anything. all over him. Well, that was we God, we covered a lot, didn't we? We covered much ground. Can we talk much more in future episodes about how much you hate awards and rankings on this and how much I love them? Well, certainly for the next two months, <laughs> it will be, a, I'm sure, an ongoing runner. Um, but listen, we're back on Thursday, aren't we, for a question and answer episode? We will now be doing two episodes every single week. One main episode, like the one you've just listened to, and one answering your questions, which have all been so brilliant that they are actually a huge backlog of amazing questions. There are so many good questions. <laughs> so many good I questions. love them. Uh, and there's so many I want to hear your answer to uh, as well. And people can still send in questions for future week's episodes if you email us at uh, the rest is entertainment at gmail.com. Uh, but we're looking forward to recording that, and it'll be out on Thursday. Yes, it will be. Right. Lovely. See you then, then, everyone. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Caddy Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. 
He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.